Tamar Hermes is a full-time real estate investor, educator, and money coach. She's the CEO of Wealth Warrior Woman, where she guides women to become financially free through real estate investing and creating an empowering relationship to money. Tamar grew up poor as the child of a Holocaust survivor and had no idea how people got rich. By chance, she stumbled upon real estate investing and became obsessed with the world of finance. Today, she coaches clients across the country and is a fanatic about investing. Tamar's desire is to support women to be free to choose how they spend their life and have the means to afford whatever they desire for themselves, their families, and others. She believes real estate investing is the best way to grow wealth. She recently relocated from Los Angeles to Austin, where she is enjoying the small city life and no state taxes. On this episode, we talked to Tamar about how she got started with the purchase of a duplex in Los Angeles. We talked to her about her transition from active investing to passive investing using various syndications, how she teaches her kids about money and the daily rituals that keep her focused and productive throughout the day. I'm Neil. And I'm Brittany. And this is The Road to Family Freedom. Before we get to this week's show, we'd like to make you aware of something. We are self-storage investors. We buy existing self-storage facilities and vacant buildings that can be converted to self-storage in the Sun Belt. We buy them with cash and some with loans, and we use private lenders who become equity partners in our deals. These equity partners share in the cash flow and the profits when we sell. When we find a deal that we are considering, we call the equity partners and offer them a share of the ownership secured by the property. So if you've ever driven by a self-storage facility and thought, I wonder who owns those things, and you have any interest in learning more about the storage business, we'd love to chat with you. Head on over to roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash storage. That's roadtofamilyfreedom.com slash s. T-O-R-A-G-E and set up a time to chat. We look forward to speaking with you. All right, enough out of us. Let's hit the road to family freedom. Well, Tamar Hermes, welcome to the road to family freedom. Thank you so much. Thanks for having me on. Yeah. So, you know, we were just chatting. We were chatting before we got on, but we didn't, we didn't really get to hear much of your story. Before we dig in a little deeper, can you tell our listeners a little bit about how you found your way into real estate? Yes, absolutely. I love sharing this story just because it's part of the reason that I do the work that I do to help women learn how to invest in real estate. I knew nothing about real estate, nothing. I didn't know anything about investing. I didn't know hardly anything about life growing up. I was just going through the motions, just like most people, where they were taught, go to school, get a job. And it was all, my father was a Holocaust survivor. My mother was a pioneer in Israel and uh, as a child. And they were all about survival. And they were good at it, really good at it. But in terms of quality of life, in terms of dreaming big, that wasn't something that we got. So what happened was I followed the rules and I got a very good job. I was working in entertainment and I was very doing very well. And I was accumulating money and I was asking myself a couple questions. And one question I was asking was, okay, if I didn't want to do this, how would I survive? Because I'm reliant on this paycheck, which allows me to live in a certain way, which I enjoy because I was traveling and I was doing things we all want to do. Uh, I was single at the time. And so I started also asking myself, okay, well, where's my money going? So, and this is something I love to do with my clients too. I was looking through the list and it's always cars, which is always pains me because it's the biggest waste of money. And the second one is rent. And so I did what a lot of people do, which is I started looking for a duplex where 
I could mitigate some of the expense by having a tenant and by being able to live in that property at the same time. And it's funny because I was just telling my kids last night that I was really proud that I decided to keep that property. It wasn't the most lucrative choice as an investor, but it hasn't been a horrible choice at all. I mean, it's still been, it's a, it's a duplex in a great area in Los Angeles. So needless to say, it hasn't been a horrible investment. And I just, I like the idea that that piece of property will continue for generations, leave that for their kids and their kids' kids, so on. To clarify, you bought that, you lived in one side and you rented out the other side. I did. I did. And it was, when I look back at it now, I really wasn't doing it in the best way in terms of the numbers working. And what I love about that is that it really doesn't matter. That's the thing. You know, we're all worried about doing it right. We're worried about getting the best deal. What I always say is if it's in a good location and you can afford it and, you know, and you feel like it's going to appreciate based on the market or you feel like eventually it'll cash flow, then just buy the darn thing. You know, people, we always hear people lose deals over $30,000 or over, you know, they should have painted that wall or I asked them to do that and they didn't. So I'm pulling out of the deal. Well, then the property goes up a half a million dollars and you think, wow, well, you know, maybe, maybe it would, would have been worth it. Property in Los Angeles, even with all the COVID issues is still booming. And uh, so I just, I went for it and I was able to pay it. And of course it, the woman wasn't paying, my tenant wasn't paying as much rent as probably she should have, or she could have, but I didn't know the difference. I was just happy. I wasn't paying for the whole thing myself. Was this before you started a family? Yes, I was single. I actually met my husband, who I've been married for over 20 years. Well, no, not quite. I've been with him for over 20 years. We're married. Our anniversary is in 20 as as this year. And uh, I was single. And so I really, even more so, you know, when you're single, and I work with a lot of clients that are single or divorced, and where you start to really feel the the financial responsibility is on you if you don't if you're not with a partner at the time. And so I was really looking for opportunities to build my financial security and independence. We we always like to get into a little bit of into the nitty gritty about people's first property. And and if, you know if you're not comfortable talking about the numbers, it's fine. But what was do you recall what the purchase price was? Yeah, sure. Now, don't mind you, everyone that's listening needs to understand I've owned this property for about 20 years. So when you hear the numbers, you know, don't think, wow. Okay, so I bought the property for $395. At one point, I took, um, I refinanced it and I took $100,000 out. Didn't do much with it at the time. I bought another property, but then I was advised to sell it, which was a mistake. But it, so I actually I did do something with it, but then I didn't trust myself. And then I just kind of uh, let it let the tenants be in there. Kept renting it to different tenants over the years because I moved out and moved in with my with my husband now. And uh, the property is worth today uh, about one two. 1.2 million. So, and it cash flows really nicely. So now I have a, uh, I have, I refinanced it recently. And so now I have a half a million dollar loan on it. And I also did something that is 
a little bit controversial in terms of um, choices, in terms of the loan Mm -hmm. that I took. I took a 15-year loan because I wanted it paid off in 15 years. And sometimes, I mean, financially, it's not always as prudent. There's a lot of advantages with the low tax rates right now, with the low interest rates to actually do a 30. But I chose to do a 15. I was fine with that. I'm actually very happy with that. My tenants more than pay for everything, including all the property taxes. And there's there's probably about, even with the 15 year, I roughly, and I say I'm hesitant only because we never know what expenses will be, but there's probably about 1500 a month, including, and it's managed by a property manager. Gotcha. So gotcha. not bad, not a bad payday. And then did you have to come in with 20% down or did you, did you do uh, something more creative when you first bought it? I was not comfortable. Now, mind you, I mean, this is 20 years ago. I knew nothing about real estate. There was no bigger pockets. There was no road to family freedom. There wasn't opportunity to learn about these things. So I was scared out of my wits. And I chose to do a 10% down because I wanted to hang on to some money, which again is not, not the worst decision. You know, when you buy a property, the most important objective should be to make sure that you can afford to keep that property if that is what you choose to do. And so I did that. And then I paid the purchase mortgage insurance called PMI. And I had that for a couple of years. And then after a while, it, it floated off. And honestly, I don't even feel it. I didn't even I, I really didn't make that much of a difference to me. I think I even may have paid to pay it down a half a point or my interest rate at the time. It was not what it is today. Well, and again, you you know what you are describing house hacking is one of our absolute favorite strategies. Anybody who talks to us about real getting into real estate investing, I always ask them, you know, have you ever considered a house hack? You know, I have cousins of mine who live in Southern California, who live in the San Diego area, and they go, "Well, I don't want roommates. I don't want to be a landlord." I'm mm. like, I'm like, it's not that hard. And this is honestly, you know. You live in an appreciating market. So, you know, if you can even just squeeze into one, as long as, and you're, you plan to be there long term, it's just, it's the one of the absolute quickest ways to build wealth because you, one, you get, you're getting into the market and two, you're, you're lowering or almost completely eliminating your, the biggest expense you have in your entire life. Most people. Yeah. And San Diego is going to be like LA, you know, they own it now. It could be worth Three times as much in the future. Yeah, there's a couple things that you touched on there that I think are are really astute. One is that just in terms of your cousin saying, oh, I don't really want roommates. I get that all the time from clients where I can, they're paying, I mean, they're living in LA. A lot of them are are paying $3,500 a month for a two bedroom, one bath. They might be living in a great area, but I just, it pains my heart. They're W-2 earners making hundreds of thousands of dollars a year, basically just turning it over to someone. And it's the same kind of thing. Well, I don't really want to live in another area. I don't really, we like, you know, we want to be in this. We want to be, and honestly, when you look at investors and you look at people, when I, when people ask me, how did you become financially independent? I'll tell you, I prioritized it. And if I, if you told me I could make money by taking on roommates and by living in a place or by getting a duplex, you bet I would do it. I'd make the most of it and I'd suck it up to get it. And I mean, you hear about Robert Key, some people, oh, we rich dad, poor dad, but you know what? He lived in a van. So figure it out. You know, <laughs> Brandon Turner, he lived in a van. So live in a van, you know, do what you need to do. It's like, it's not that hard. 
Yeah. You know, just step into what it takes if you really want to be in this game, if you really want to have the opportunity to, you know, I mean, literally, if there wasn't COVID, I mean, I could get on a plane right now and go to Japan for a month if I wanted. Well, that's pretty cool to me. So as you've grown your portfolio, you've shifted into mostly passive investing. Can you talk to us about what that looks like for you now? Yeah, absolutely. So uh, what started to happen was over time, I was buying properties and I was self-managing. I was one of those, I got to do it myself to make sure it's done right. And I also honestly felt like, well, it's not that hard. And it really wasn't because I had the plumber and I wasn't fixing toilets. But I mean, it was phone calls. And, you know, at a certain point when you have several of them and you start getting a lot of calls, your head starts to spin. And it does start to feel like you're fixing toilets, even though you're not, you're, you're putting out a lot of fires. So what I decided to do at that point was start to talk to people and see what else they did. And I learned about syndication, which is where we can invest in properties passively where we don't do any of the work, but we give someone our money and they go, they do all the work, they take all the risk, they deal. Well, they don't take all the risk. You take the risk of your money, but I mean, they're basically doing all the work and they're pretty careful for the most part because they obviously don't want to ruin their reputation because it won't, they won't be very successful in the business if they do. And I started seeing these returns of uh, seven to 9% preferred returns with 15 to 15 plus percent annualized overall. And so I was just thinking, looking at my numbers and thinking, I thought I was doing really well making like 10%. And then I was thinking, well, but I'm doing all the work and my money's locked up in these deals because I was in, most of my properties were in LA. So it's an appreciating market. So right now, when I said my property's worth 1.2 million, I'm not I don't have access. There's a lot of equity in there. I could obviously I could refinance again. Um, I have obviously a lot of uh, liquid in there. Most a lot of investors would just probably be jumping through, jumping up and down right now, hearing that I have all that money sitting. But the point is, is that there was a lot of other opportunities. And so I just I, I just started to d dive in. I got into multifamily. Then I started investing in storage units. Then I started doing private money lending. Then I started doing Airbnbs. Then I started taking on partners and buying properties together. So I just started realizing really the, the beauty of partnerships and of letting other people invest my money and just give me the returns. When you're doing that, I mean, a lot of it's a lot of things that people like about real estate is having that control. And especially if you're somebody who came up through the ranks where you were more of an active investor, um, any tips for someone who's maybe looking in to invest more passively about how to manage the mindset of giving up that control? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I had that big time. Uh, because, uh, you know, especially the way I grew up, I didn't have a lot. So for me to give up control meant that I could lose my candy and I didn't like that. So I would say that the, f the first thing to do is to ask yourself if you're actually, I mean, it, maybe you really like having the control and there's nothing wrong with that. I think that sometimes we, we, we think we need to do it a certain way because we see, oh, wow, if I do that, I can make more money and I could do less work but maybe you don't mind the work and you like having the control and it feels good. So one I would say is honor yourself. I mean, if that's really what you like and it's working for you, then just don't worry about it. But if you feel like, like I was, like I said, my head would start spinning some days. And that was when I first 
went to my husband and said, we're selling this property. And he looked at me like a deer in the headlights. We'd never sold a property, really. We hadn't sold a lot of properties. And he said, why? Because it's doing great and it's a great location and it's a great property. And I said, because I can do better. I can do better and I can do less work. So it met my objectives. So if you let your objectives rule instead of your mind and say, okay, what is it that I want? Okay, I want to have less work and I want to have more money. So if I want those, then the solution is to find someone that I can trust, that I that I understand the strategy and that takes the time with me. The first person that I did syndication with, I mean, I had close to seven figures with this one sponsor and we just became good friends. I really trusted him. I really liked him. He had me do it very slowly. He wasn't saying, oh, why don't you give me $500,000 in the first deal? He wasn't wheeling and dealing me. He wanted me to trust him. He said, do 25,000, do 50,000, learn. So that's a good way, you know, take a bite size. Don't, you don't have to take the whole hamburger in, in one bite. And also I wouldn't recommend it even if you had hundreds of millions of dollars to do that because you hear it all the time. Most of the people that go bust, they put too much with one person. You have to diversify. You have to hedge your bets. It's still real estate. Things can still happen. You can still make a mistake. So why put everything with one person? So that's those are the things that I would say that there are some solutions for you to take small steps, maybe honor where you're at. If you're really fine with it, then be fine with it. Don't You don't have to do syndication just because everybody else is doing it. Although it's really great, <laughs> I will <laughs> yeah. say. Yeah, we have we we're invested in a syndication, and we are uh, we are syndicating self storage as well. You you brought a couple of really good points there that I want to sort of make sure that people understand. And if you need to rewind and listen to what Tamara just said, I think I suggest it is that one is you got to keep in mind the idea of return on equity. You know, especially if you live somewhere where there's a you have a high a big appreciating asset. You know, I was using example of somebody owns a a million dollar property in Hawaii that's owned free and clear and they make a hundred thousand dollars a year. Well, let's say, let's say $70,000 a year on that. Their return is 7% when they could probably, I mean, sometimes the peace of mind is what's more important to somebody like that, but you could probably put that equity to work somewhere else. And it, it is something to keep in mind as you start to see a property that appreciates and appreciates, appreciates is you got to not just figure your return on investment, but also your return on equity. And could you redeploy that equity better somewhere else? And the second thing you brought up is diversifying. You know, we all probably know the name Bernie Madoff and, you know, Bernie Madoff was a great guy who was making his clients lots and lots of money. Supposedly a great guy. Yes. <laughs> Unt until he wasn't. And the people who got really hurt, and a lot of them were, the in, were in the entertainment industry, and I can't remember some of the names, they were they were 100% you know, or 90% in with Bernie Madoff. So when you invest in syndication, when you invest in anything, diversify across asset class, geography, and operator. Don't be all in on the Bernie Madoff of syndication. I have not run across anybody that I would call shady in syndication. There's some people that I would probably not invest with. Uh, anyway, so that's that's my speech. <laughs> yeah, it's important not to put all your eggs in that one basket so that if if a deal goes bad, I mean, people sometimes I'll put a deal and somebody will say, well, 
do you want to lose that 75,000? And I say, of course not, but it's not going to, it's not, I like the investment. I like the strategy. I like the sponsor. And so it's not, it it doesn't feel like uh, the chances are great that I will, but if I did, it also would devastate me. Yeah. Yeah. What are some things that you look at that, you know, give you a sort of warm fuzzy about, yeah, you know, this is somebody I don't know. Maybe I'm getting to know them. What is it that you think, usually seals the deal for you on, all right, I feel, I feel, I trust this person enough that I'm going to turn over my money. Well, I'm a huge believer in a track record. And I know we all start somewhere and there are some people that are just more savvy or they have the relationships where they are comfortable investing with someone that's newer. I like to invest with someone that has done several deals that knows that really, you know, has, has made mistakes with, and I really feel comfortable there. So that's the first thing. The second thing is also the way the deal is structured. So sometimes there's different, I, I presented when I said the seven to nine preferred return with the 15 plus, that's fairly standard, but there are certain deals I just invested in an extended stay uh, hotel. They're actually going to return all of the money in three years. So I'm going to get all my principal back in three years and then still get a 25 projected IRR and a preferred return. So in those, I wouldn't say just go for the biggest return, but, you know, if your objective for me, a lot of the objective was how fast can I get my money back at this point, my principal and also cash flow. So there are there are deals where you can find a great return where you, you don't get any money, you don't get cash flow right away, but the returns are great. So you have to ask yourself. So that also weighs into my my strategy in terms of whether or not I'll go with the sponsor. And then the other thing also has to do with what kind of person I think they are. And so if I feel like it's someone that just wants to make money and is just and I'm just another pocketbook for them and they don't really they're not that invested in who I am or anything like that. I usually won't invest as much with them because I want someone that I can call and and help me if I'm in trouble. I mean, I, you know, like this one sponsor I talked about that I said I have a lot of money with. Honestly, if I called him tomorrow and told him I need $300,000 tomorrow, I'm in trouble. He would be able to sell those shares or he would get, be able to give it to me out of his own and buy the shares himself. That's huge. That doesn't happen all the time. That has to do with relationship. That has to do with integrity of how people run their business. And also just quite frankly, that, you know, he's amassed a certain amount of wealth where he can afford to do that. Well, and that is, you know, that is one of the, the hard parts about syndication is awfully, it's not often, it's not a liquid asset, you know, and most syndications you get involved in with the PPM will state, you know, that we can't guarantee you that if you need your money back out, that, that, you know, we're going to be able to do it, but we'll do our best. You know, that is the benefit of working somebody, you know, and somebody that has a track record and the wealth to be able to to do that. So that's great. Before we started recording, we kind of touched on um, kids and money. So you have, you have three children. How do you help them be um, financially educated? Let's start there. (laughs) That's a good question. I feel like I just did an okay job. Mm Mm-hmm. Honestly, I feel like I'm doing much, much better now. And we're all evolving and we're all learning. And a lot of the stuff I had to get to a certain point where I realized, hey, this is non-negotiable. So, I mean, the kids don't always wake up and, you know, you tell them, hey, we're going to read Rich Dad, Poor Dad together. And they they go, yay, (laughs) fun. 
Um, although my son, my 14 year old did tell me yesterday, he said, you know, it was a pretty good book. I said, yeah, I'm glad you like it. You and 80 other billion people in the world. So at least he, he, you know, he got it. And uh, what I've been doing now is my 14 and 18 year old, we've been having kind of a class, a little school where I go through, I actually teach real estate investing. So I'm actually doing the course for them, a private course. And they ask really good questions. And we talk about all kinds of things because they're all in the course. And so they'll ask uh, about the investments and how they work. And, uh, and we were talking about 401ks last night. We were talking about how to get the money out of a deal. So we ended up actually talking about the whole Burr concept of how you might be able to get cash out of a deal really quickly. And they're actually also going to be investing in some stocks. So that's also pretty exciting. I'm not a huge fan of stocks overall for various reasons. Uh, that's why we're all talking about real estate here. But uh, they're still pretty viable investment. And it is a place where you can diversify. There's still a number of people who've done pretty well in stocks, as we know. And uh, so it's I think it's something worth teaching as well. Yeah. Well, and there's a there there are some companies that barring some really horrible like crazy thing happening, they're going to be around. And those are a lot of those are the ones that we've seen stay during this time, you know, because they um either provide a very necessary, you know, business like Home Depot or Lowe's, like people are always going to need building materials and, and such and home, you know, that kind of thing. And then, you know, Disney, I'm sure they're hurting a little bit because they can't have their parks and cruises going, but they do sure have a, hurting a lot. Yeah. But they have a significant like entertainment piece that hopefully will keep That's them true. floated for a good amount of time. And, and, you know, obviously Amazon is making money hand over foot. So, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So specifically, what's sort of, you know, a challenge that we always face is just getting our, our son, you know, of course, he's only six right now. He's six. So I think what Neil was going to say is that some of, it can be hard because asking a six-year-old to concentrate on long-term goals can be difficult. And um, also with 30-year-olds. Yes. I mean, <laughs> anybody, long-term goals are hard and six-year-olds don't tend to have the self-control that is required to think those long terms and, you know, the life experience, all those kinds of things. If you could go back, though, I'm curious what small things you might have done with your children to help build some of those habits in or if you would have concentrated like right now, I'm just kind of concentrating on, OK, you want a toy. Let's learn how to save for that. We are still putting a little bit sort of Dave Ramsey in the like give put it in a give and put a little bit in like a long-term savings, which were like, this is for a car or a house. And the other day he was like, I know it's for a car, <laughs> <laughs> you know, for, for the short term, I'm just like, let's figure out how to save. You want a $150, you know, R2D2 droid. All right. <laughs> Buckle up. You know, you get $3 a week. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I think that's, I think those things are all really effective. I, you're right. I mean, there's only so much, I mean, we don't see a lot of six-year-old buying properties. So <laughs> they're only, you're right. They're only going to absorb so much. And the truth is they only really have to because they're kids. So, yeah. you know, you do that, you play Monopoly with them. You, you know, we have the allowance game. My kids always love that. It was pretty fun. And, you know, just step-by-step, step, you just kind of, I, I think honestly, the truth is when I look at it, 
you know, my kids are an age where they can really start to comprehend these concepts mm-hmm. and actually do something with it, which is really exciting. But when I think about it, the thing that really is important, I think, when you're raising the kids and you want them to learn about wealth and opportunity is teaching them to be a good person, teaching them how to be with other people, teaching them how to evaluate choices, like what you're doing where, okay, you want this $150 toy, you know, like you can get it this way. So I think those kinds of things are great. And, you know, no one really has a crystal ball. So, I mean, we don't, you know, we just do the best we can. We lead with love. We, we, we just hope that they, that they are interested. I mean, my son, he's 14. He's not very motivated by money. He Mm -hmm. just doesn't really want that much. He has his really nice gamer computer. He plays soccer and he doesn't care about really about clothes that much. He doesn't care about much. There's not, he's, he's pretty simple, but he does uh, understand the fact that when he saves that when he does want something, he can get it. And he bought that computer himself and he had thousand dollars and he just took it and he just bought it. He said, I want this computer. It's a thousand dollars. I'm going to buy it. So after a couple of years, he decided he really wanted something. It was kind of cool. He didn't even ask me for the money. So I think, you know, like I said, when you build, when you just, and also they follow what you do, right? Mm -hmm. Kids follow what you do. So if we're sitting around watching TV all day and I don't know, eating bonbons and just sitting (laughs) around and being negative about life and people and money and saying negative things about people that are have money, then they're going to kind of be icky too, right? Because they just suck that all in. But if we're excited and working and vivacious, we're on podcasts, sharing with others, motivating people to grow well through real estate, then they get that. They understand that they can do good. They understand that the opportunity is there for them. You're teaching them these skills right now. Are you doing anything else to help, you know, provide or secure a financial future for them? You know, money from you or, or, you know, you said you were going to pass down that property. Is there anything else that you are working on for them? Yeah. I mean, you know, my kid, I believe my kids will, will inherit a considerable amount because at a certain point, when you reach a certain level of income, you're pretty much can live off the interest, right. Mm -hmm. Of that income. So the truth is all that money just continues to grow and you have that big base. And so it's part of what I do too, is I really spent time showing them also where the money is and how it's allocated and who to call if something happens to me. And, uh, and my husband, my husband's a television director. He is not a, he makes good, really good money, very good money, but he doesn't, he doesn't do any kind of money work at all. He's, it's not his thing. He's dyslexic. He doesn't really, I mean, he likes having money, but he's not going to sit around and do the banking. He doesn't love it. He doesn't, wouldn't do investing. He likes going around looking at properties with me. He likes going through talking about ideas, but that's just not his passion. He would rather watch a marathon of Francis Ford Coppola films. <laughs> that's more of joy for him. So it's important for me that my kids understand how things are set up because that way, if something were to happen to me, then everybody understands the portfolio. They understand how, what, um, who to call, what's involved, where the money is, how it's allocated, how, um, yeah, I mean, everything's set up for, for the kids. And I hope we'll also probably in the next few years will be, we, we donate a certain amount right now to charity, but I, I plan to create a fund for that and have even more money going to to charitable contributions. Mm-hmm. So yeah, I want them to, they, they see all of that. Yeah. Do you worry about 
providing them too much to where they won't do the hard work on their own. No, I think it all comes back. It all comes back to the kind of parent you are, the kind of person you are. I honestly, all three of my kids are really good people and that, and when they are good and when they can get along and when they have good values and when they care for others, I just think that they'll, that they will, they want to do well in the world. They Mm -hmm. want to be good in the world. And I think that I'm, my husband and I are both so happy for them. They're so happy that they don't have to work the way that we did, that they don't have to struggle, that they don't have to be scared the way that, I mean, my husband was never scared. Men don't get as scared as women. You know, (laughs) we're more scaredy cats overall. Sorry. (laughs) But, you know, my husband's just like, okay, this is what I'm doing. Boom. You know, we go and we do it. So, uh, you know, but he worked his butt off. Let's face Mm -hmm. it. I mean, you know, you don't become successful in the entertainment industry by sitting around and kind of, you know, waiting for the phone to ring. So, I mean, you know, there's, he's still well known as being one of the hardest working guys in the business. And uh, even though he doesn't even really need to work that much anymore. So I just believe that just teach him well. And, you know, it is what it is. Like, I, you know, I know that my kids will never go around being flashy or trying to show up anyone. I know that they'll always be humble and they're very gracious for what they have ultimately, even though sometimes in the moment it doesn't feel like it, you know, because they get passionate about what they want or what they don't have. But overall, uh, they really, they really get it. We just actually bought my son. He just, you know, he's going to be turning 15. So we bought him a used Prius. And he went through the whole process. Part of it, it's a long story why, but part of it has to do with my husband and I both drive Teslas. And my 18-year-old had her car at college in Denver. And we didn't really want my 18-year-old coming home driving Tesla around. <laughs> so uh, we just didn't think it was a good idea for many reasons. So we, so I said, well, let's just buy a car because then my son, Oz, can drive it when he's 16. And he went through the whole process with me about how, uh, of course, we bought a private party. So um, he went through the whole process of finding it. And then I said, okay, we're going to go test drive this car. We're going to meet him at the gas station. You want to meet someone at a public place just in case they're crazy. And, you know, this is how we're doing it. And I showed him how I like the way he wrote the ad. It showed me something about the fact that the guy was a, a person of integrity. And so it was, I think it was a really good process for him. And then in the end, I was telling the, the guy that we bought the car from, that uh, part of the reason why I really wanted to buy from him was because he had good mojo. And it sounds weird, but you know, you don't want, like when you're buying, you want to teach your kid, like I wanted him to have a good vibe. I didn't want it to be some, you know, angry or aggressive sales guy. It was like a nice guy. And he was moving to San Diego and he built his, he built an RV that he's going to live in and be his car. So he was selling the Prius. So, you know, these are the kind of things that I think they pick up about how we live in the world. So we've talked a lot about educating your kids about how to invest in real estate. But if you, Tamar, were forced to start over tomorrow knowing nothing about real estate, what would Tamar's real estate MBA look like? What would you, how would you educate yourself? And what would you, what would you learn first? Hmm. Okay. So that is given that I, what, what I would do first is figure out what my resources were. 
because 20 years ago, we just didn't have a lot of resources. So part of it was just that I barely even knew about real estate. My mom had, uh, we lived in a small apartment in Los Angeles, but my mom had taken a very, very small inheritance that she got from my grandfather, Harry the plumber. And she bought a property um, that wasn't very expensive and not a great neighborhood so that she could start. But I didn't understand it. She never explained it to me. I knew that she did it. And she actually also hung on to that property, which is kind of cool too. But so the first thing I would do is I would, I would just talk to people. That's the first thing I would do, which is what I did. I just kept talking to people and asking them, you know, what do I do? How do you, what do you do? And then, and then get to know, start piecing, putting the pieces together. Now today we live in such a great time where there's so many resources. So it's almost, I mean, there's obviously, there's so many resources, so there's more people doing it which is great if we live in an abundant mindset where we believe there's enough for everyone. And then we could be excited that we all can get access to this information. And if we do the work, we can all get there, which is really cool. Because when I when I grew up, we didn't have internet, we didn't have any of those things. So I was just talking to people. And, uh, you know, I just went to a real estate agent, we didn't have wholesale, I didn't know anything about anything. So I would just honestly, you know, the, the, the wealth is always in people. So I would just go to people, talk to agents. Real estate agents are great. I mean, they're in the trenches, especially um, if you know you want to live in a certain area or invest in a certain area, find an, find a real estate agent that does investments in that area, in that area that they know. They know the houses. They know the pockets. They know what they've gone up. They know when they've gone down. They know what the rents are for. Um, or talking to a property manager. I mean, all these people are just the best resources you could possibly get, the best insurance, the best security. That's what I would do. What does a day in life look like for you as a real estate investor? Ah, I would say that I'm I'm really really blessed with this because the day my day in my life is exactly as I want it every day. I don't ever have to wake up and do. I mean, obviously, if I'm in a deal or if my kids need something or my husband, you know, I, I that's different. But in terms of the way that I design my world, I, it is really up to me. I'm very, I'm very disciplined. I wake up every morning. I meditate for 20 minutes. Then I, 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 I wake up in the morning, meditate 20 minutes. Then I go down and I drink, uh, go downstairs, drink 25 ounces of water with lemon and apple cider vinegar. Mm. Uh, I and it, you know, you get you used to it. It's really. I, huh? no, I, I used to do it. No, it's, no, whatever. I used to do it. It's really good for you. Yes. Yeah. Uh, and it tastes, I think it tastes pretty good. Uh, you know, it's just like anything you get used to it after a while. Right. So, I mean, now I look forward to it. Uh, then I, I usually will work out and, and take the dog with me and go for a run or for a while I was swimming, but it got a little cold, but I really like swimming in the morning. And then, um, I will journal, I will read a little bit. So pretty much my mornings, it's rare that I will take a morning meeting. Very rare. Uh, if I have to, I will, but pretty much, uh, I won't. And then also I write a lot cause I blog for bigger pockets. I'm working on a book. I'm always improving my core. So there's always work to be done where I need that good concentration, which you get in the morning. And then my day is pretty much mixed with uh, meetings, talking to investors, maybe looking at deals, uh, doing some, sometimes, I, you know, it's just really mixed depending on what needs to happen in the meat of the day. But it's usually a combination of, of talking to people and, or, you know, signing docs or getting paperwork done or going to look at properties and one thing, and this is kind of a jewel, I think, that I'm going to be giving, because I just, 
I don't know why it took me so long to figure this out. But I always found like I'd be so disciplined during the day. In the morning, great. Afternoon, great. Then evening comes. And that's when I start to channel surf on the, you know, on on Instagram or I'll just zone out and maybe watch. I don't really watch television, but every once in a while, it's almost like I get lazy. And that's okay. Some people need relaxing time. But when I think of how much I value my hours during the day, I think, well, why are you just giving away three hours of your life at night, you know, just to like surf and do nothing? What, what's that all about? So I started creating uh, a discipline where I would treat my, my evenings with the same sacredness as I treat my mornings. So when I end my day the same way, so that includes not eating after seven, not being on a computer, a phone, anything at least one hour before bedtime because it affects your sleep. And we don't even think, you know, we're just until the end of the day, we're just on, you know, let me see what's going on in the politics. And, you know, it just goes on and on. And so, uh, you know, really just shutting that off. And uh, like last night, I got so much done. Just because I shut the, I shut it off. I shut everything off, and everything you think to do. Oh, I gotta. No, you're not doing that now. Okay, all right. I'll read. Okay, I'll go and pet the dog. I'll go. <laughs> uh, you know, I wasn't petting the dog. I'll you know clean up some stuff. I um, I don't know. I I did all kinds of stuff last night, and um, and I journaled also before I went to bed to to go to bed with instead of looking at a. Instagram or, you know, what politics, I, I don't want to get into politics, but, you know, some negative things we could get into here. Um, you know, if you start looking at that before you go to bed, you go to bed with that in your mind. That's what mm-hmm. you're giving, feeding yourself. And I don't want to, that's not what I want to dream about. And so I start writing in my journal for 10, 15 minutes and give myself a thing, things to think about that I am proud of that I got done today or things that happened with my kids or or deals or something that I, that I feel good about so that I go to bed with that feeling. So that's kind of, that has been a really nice transition for me. I'm really proud that I figured that out. I don't know why it took so long. (laughs) (laughs) It's a, it's a good habit. I mean, I would say as a parent of a young child, it's probably the hardest battle because morning time is not my own Unless I want to, unless I want to wake him up because he also, he's still young enough where he doesn't get into bed with us, but only because we have a cot at the end of our bed that we have now, you know, trained him. Like if you're going to come in at three in the morning, you get, you sleep there (laughs) and then he might cuddle for a little bit, like at, at seven or something, but you know, getting up early, Neil's able to do it. But if both of us get up early, he's going to wake up and then the rest of the day is not going to be very enjoyable for me. Right. So that's a tough <laughs> one, you know, so then I, I, and then I, I want to, I know we go, we both get into this place where we want that zone out time at night because it's not coming anywhere else during the day. And so something to, to try and figure out how to like get that elsewhere and then be, you know, more mindful right before bedtime. Yeah. I mean, it's interesting, of course, when you have young kids and I mean, you know, don't forget I had many years I had my young kids. So there were times where I was, you know, breastfeeding and doing all the things that mamas do. And I was not, uh, my, my mornings were not my own. So, um, so I'm very grateful now. In fact, even, uh, you know, my son gets up pretty early. In fact, when we get back in December, he's got to get up, he's got to be at school at 645 for soccer training, uh, tryouts for high school. So there are times where I need to make some, some, um, 
adjustments to my, to my schedule. And, uh, but the one thing that I realized was that I feel like, you know, we're conditioned to, to, to believe that we need that entertainment. We need to watch game of Thrones or whatever it is. And some people really enjoy that. And I honor that, but for me, it really feels like it doesn't really, it's just, it feels like fluff to me. And I know my husband, if my husband, when my husband listens to it, <laughs> he does, he's just going to be like, you know, you shall have a little respect for television. Um, although I did watch the queen's gambit, which oh, I so highly good. recommend. I got so through that. Good. Really good. So, good, so good. Right. So yes. good. Yeah. Crazy good. Neil hasn't so, done it, but yeah. He didn't like That's it. Good. No, he didn't. He hasn't watched it. We oh, okay. To, no, we're not talking about the Queen's Gambit. But no, everybody it isn't. Watch it. It's it's it fantastic. No, I will fantastic. watch it. It's just she started watching it, and then before I knew it, she was three up, three or four episodes in. I was like, oh, yeah. I actually I don't watch TV at night because I won't sleep. I have a hard time that Neil will fall asleep to TV. I read a lot, but like I'll read. I also won't shut that off because I read on a Kindle too. And like, I have the like light turned all the way down and it, yeah, I'm, I'm bad. If it's really good, I'm like, Nope. You know? And so anyway, so I just, to me, for the most part, the TV, uh, it, I enjoy it at the time, but then when I, it, it's almost like drinking, it's like, it feels really yeah. good going in. But then the next day you're like, what do I do? You know, why do I do that? Uh, so that's just kind of how I am now. Not everybody's as productive or crazy as I am. Like, you know, I want to watch a documentary or I want everything feeding my brain. So I'm a little bit crazy that way, but that's really what brings me joy. Ultimately, I just, so, so that's, that's what it is for me. Yeah. The, yeah. the joy is important. Yes. Okay. So lastly, you, you know, you have a workshop called uh, wealth warrior and could you talk to us a little bit about that? I know it's it's mostly about teaching women how to invest in real estate. And I love a statistic you give off is like 90% of millionaires have been made by real estate, but only 30% of women, only 30% of real estate investors are women. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. Um, so yeah, so the company's called Wealth Warrior Woman. And the course that I created is called The Real Deal Formula. And now uh, in January, it's going to come out in a course form where you can just buy the course, or you can join the mastermind. And I'm actually, uh, it's going to be for men and women. Enough men have asked about it where I thought, well, why not? They can, they, it's, it's just, if they feel that I can teach them well, then I would like to be of service to them too. I like guys, they've been all right to me in the (laughs) world. So let's, let's share the wealth. And so that's, that's pretty much what that is. And I go through what I like to teach is an overview. I'm not a niche teacher. You're not, I'm not going to teach you just multifamily or how to buy 800 single family homes and retire. That's not my thing. My thing is how is your relationship with money? What's your financial picture look like? What's your financial analysis? What are all the pieces? What do you want it to look like? And then what are your options really? So I'll talk about syndication. I'll talk about single family homes. Some clients need to start there. Some people, clients can start with syndication and it's not where they're at. And so I will go through all the pieces so that they can understand the numbers, the strategies, the options, and work through those in the, in the mastermind together so that they can get to uh, buy the next property or the first property. Some of my clients already have a couple properties, but they're not as far along as they want to be. So that's what I uh, do with them. Yeah. 
Well, Tamar, thank you so much for sharing with us today. You've got the Wealth Warrior Workshop. We'll put that all in the show notes. Uh, if any of our guests want to find you, what would be the best way for them to do that? Yeah, they can go to my website, uh, Wealth Warrior Woman, W-O-M-A-N.com, or they can email me, hello at Wealth Warrior Woman, W-O-M-A-N.com. And there's also a place to connect with me there. And if you're interested in the Real Deal Formula Mastermind, there's information on that on the website. And there's also an opportunity to connect with me and let me know that as well to get on the waiting list. Well, thanks so much. It was really wonderful catching up with you today. Thank you so much. You have a great rest of your day. You too. Okay, that was Tamar Hermes from WealthWarriorWoman.com. It was wonderful getting to know her. I encourage you to go and check her out at her website. She's got tons of content. She's got uh, a blog and, and uh, her workshop. Go, go check her out. Do you have a key lesson learned from? Yes. So I'm going to go with one that I feel like we haven't talked about. There's a lot of themes there that we've, you know, we go over quite often, but when we were talking about kids and money, I think one of the things that she really touched on that hasn't been touched on in any of the other conversations, we had a few conversations about money with other um, investors, but she talked about how just teaching her kids or, you know, encouraging her kids to be good people, generally speaking, and, you know, being, um, having integrity and, you know, that kind of thing is just as important or, you know, is, is a big, has a big piece of importance for their financial education because that will help prevent any of the sort of entitled bits, the I'm better than you, or, you know, possibly we didn't really talk about it, but, you know, you hear about people who blow inheritance or other kind of, you know, generational wealth. Um, and, and some of that is, is due to character. You know, I think that it's important. And I, I like that she's still setting the, her kids up financially. She still thinks that's important. You know, I, I saw something the other day and I will, I don't know if it's fully true, but we'll use it as an anecdote. And I don't know the details, but it was talking about Jackie Chan and, and he um, supposedly had said that he was not going to pass his wealth on to his children, essentially with, you know, that mindset of like, make them work for it. I worked for it, so they should have to. And that is a mindset that actually gets society in trouble a little bit. It's probably, I feel like it's a problem that we have as a society, society right now. Like you need to pull yourself up by the bootstraps and you're not worth it if you get help which I think is a problem. And this is a, you know, I think you can teach your kids to be good people and teach them to work hard and do things on their own and provide things for them as well during your lifetime. And then if you are able to pass things on, that's fantastic as well. You know, we, we have experienced that firsthand um, with our families. They've both given with a warm hand and, and then, you know, should we receive any inheritance, we've been taught compassion and all those things that I think we wouldn't necessarily, you know, we're not going to have fights over things with family members and we're going to use that responsibly. And I just, I think that is a fantastic mindset to have rather than I worked for this, you don't get any, you work for what you have rather than teaching how to work for those things and setting someone up for success as well. And then they can do better than you which is all I want for my kid. I want 
I want better for my kid, not necessarily the same. I want him to do better than I did. On my soapbox, done now. (laughs) For me, it it really comes down to, this is something we harp on a lot, which is house hacking and what a, what Mm -hmm. a huge, what a huge powerful tool it can be. You know, most people's biggest expenses in their lives are their rent slash mortgage and their car. Mm-hmm. And if you are smart about buying cars and you don't buy new cars and you don't buy, you know, you buy used cars and don't spend a lot of money on, on it. And then you also have an opportunity to look for ways to house hack, uh, you know, buy a duplex, triplex or fourplex, or, you know, like we did, we bought a house that had a mother-in-law unit and, you know, and it allowed us to, to short-term rental, you know, it is a wealth accelerator. I, I just cannot describe it any other way. And I highly, highly recommend that uh, if you have the opportunity that you look into to ways to do that. Yeah. It's an easy jumping off point too. When we talk about dipping your toe in the water, just getting started, all those kinds of things that um, it will get you going. And um, it's a great way to do that because you get some experience with a little bit less of a risk if you buy the right property. So. Yeah. Uh, knowledge. You know, she talked about getting to understand what her resources were when she started off and also needing to understand that the wealth is in the people. And, Mm -hmm. you know, we say this often here is that real estate is a people business. And it's, um, you know, one of the things that I like so much about it is that it, there are so many examples of people who've been successful doing it. And you can follow their example. It's a it's a repeatable process. Yeah. You know, we for years, you know, I I had aspirations to, you know, start this business or start this business. And that's great. But it it's there's not many examples, you know, unless you choose a very, very non-original business, there's not a lot of people you can follow. Mm-hmm. Uh, whereas with real estate, you know, you can choose some, you can find somebody who has done a particular niche that speaks to you and you can follow their success and you can follow their road. Money. Money. She bought a $395,000 duplex in Los Angeles for 10% down. So about she needed about $40,000. Yeah. um, Which again, you know, when, if it's owner occupied, that's one of the powers of duplexes, triplexes and fourplexes is that you can, a lot of times you can get in for less than 20% down. Uh, usually with a rental property, you're looking at at least 25% down. You can get in for cheaper time time. So she really spends a lot of her time on educating and, and that kind of thing. But it sounded like depending on what she's doing, she might spend a couple of hours or several hours in a day working on real estate. Um, like I said, depending on what, you know, if she's looking at a deal actively or possibly just, you know, speaking with, investors and and that kind of thing. You know, we mentioned she's, she's investing passively. So she's not driving these deals. She's just investing in them. So it, it reduces the amount of time that she's spending significantly. Yeah. Well, that's one of the, you know, she has gotten to the point uh, where she's built enough wealth that she can uh, focus on investing passively in these syndications, Mm -hmm. multifamily self-storage, She've mentioned investing in some short-term rentals and an extended stay, you know, and that is somebody else is running that deal. You are in the investment passively. She has very specifically set up her life so that she can pretty much do what she wants to do. Could they do this strategy from anywhere in the world? 
Yeah, she actually mentioned, I can't remember where she mentioned she exactly, but she said if months. she wanted to go. Yeah. So, yes. Yep. Okay. Once again, that was Tamar Hermes from Wealth Warrior Woman. And go check her out. All of her information will be in the show notes. We're doing this all again next week. Let's hit the road. Bye. Hey, before you go, if you like the show, we would be delighted if you'd head over to Podchaser and leave us an honest review. And do let us know why you like the show, how long you've been listening, and in particular, what you find really useful or entertaining. And let us know if there's anything you think we should change. Also, if you have specific questions about real estate investing, especially self-storage or short-term rentals, shoot us an email at info at roadtofamilyfreedom.com and we'll be happy to answer your question on the show. We might even turn it into an entire episode. Thanks for listening. We're doing this all again next week. Until then, safe travels on your road to financial freedom.